You're listening to Abscond with Ethan Renault. This is episode 17. And as always, this episode is produced by my friend Mark Breda. He is a phenomenal guy, talented producer, and one of the cutest human beings you'll ever meet. Um, this is going to be another episode of Ethan sitting here alone, um, talking about a couple things. I wanted to go back to that idea of Gnosticism I was addressing with Dave in the previous episode. I also wanted to read a recent blog post of mine, which, um, I'm kind of stoked about. So I think I'll start off with that blog post reading. I recently read this at an open mic night I was invited to speak at, and, I really liked how it was when it was live, and to be honest, I wish I had had someone record it, mainly so I could use it as one of my YouTube videos for the year, (laughs) but I didn't, so I guess this will suffice. Um, I wrote this on, I don't know when I wrote this, a couple, a week or two ago, anyway, but yeah, it kind of tackles a couple of the things I wanted to mention in this episode today. So anyway... Um, here's my blog post. If you want to read it, um, you know, with your own eyes, it's, uh, available on my blog. I think it was April 2nd, maybe it's one where I just titled it with the date that I wrote it on because sometimes I just get really fired up and then ramble on and on like I'm doing now and turn it into a blog post. And that's what I did. It goes like this. I'm always tempted to laugh when someone tells me that they're a super strong Christian My faith is really strong, the kid in the gym locker room told me the other day. Like, did Jesus die extra good for you? Did you do more to earn the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? Did you pay for your grace? I'm always curious. It's like those people who superstitiously believe that if this famous pastor laid hands on them and prayed for them, they'd be healed of that chronic disease. And that's how those deceptive pastors get rich. Call yourself an apostle. Call yourself a new prophet. Call yourself a strong Christian, but you're just the same as the rest of us. I feel like the strength of your Christianity, which, that phrase, by the way, no. The strength of your Christianity can be measured in a single question. Have you ever sinned? If not, then yes, you are a strong Christian, and you are indeed the Messiah. If you have, welcome to the club. There's a seat here for you at the table, scooted up by the sinless one himself. You can add as many scoops of ice cream as you want to a pile of roaches, but you'll never make it an appealing platter. However, all you need is one insect to utterly ruin a giant bowl of ice cream. It's easy to taint and contaminate, much harder to cleanse and redeem. Are you a strong Christian? Does your dessert have a few less roaches on it than the rest of ours? Or are you down here with the rest of us, kneeling on the level ground before the cross? A month ago, a girl broke my heart. The fact that it hasn't healed shows that it was broken more deeply than I previously thought. Sometimes the ripping off of the band-aid hurts more than the actual wound. Sometimes you need to be wounded again to see where the deepest cuts hide. Maybe this is why God sometimes allows our tissue to be severed so he can not only heal the fresh, superficial laceration, but so that he can get to the root of the issue. That porn addiction, that alcoholism, that reason you gotta stay high or always be in work mode. I heard an old Jewish idiom once. A rabbi said to a young disciple, My son, 
Do you know why the scriptures say to set the word of God on your heart, not in it? The boy listened intently as the rabbi continued. So that when your heart breaks, scripture will run down into it and fill the cracks like water into a fractured dam. I've said it once, and I'll probably say it a billion more times before I go. Me, I struggle to fall in love with invisible things. Paul, those who live according to the flesh desire the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit desire the things of the... Me, yeah, I know, Paul, but how do you desire the things of the Spirit? How do you long for the glorious unseen? How do you pine for the intangible? I've held a girl or two in my day, and... Not to give too much undeserved credit to Hozier here. Sometimes I feel more in those moments than I do in church. Paul, what's a Hozier? It's easier to wrap your arms around a human and feel love flow between the two of you, requited. Or, if you're eternally single like me, to long for that moment. It's much harder to wrap your arms around our God, who scripture tells us is a spirit, and feel much love flow in either direction. We've got Stockholm Syndrome for the world. She's taken captive our attention and our desires and is refusing to give them back. She doesn't play fair. She invents things like women's soft shoulders and lamb jerky risotto and expects us to stay focused on invisible or tasteless things. But look, now I've gone and waxed Gnostic. They preach, all matter is bad and all spirit is good. Not true of our God. He made a good world. A world that spins and pops and sizzles. A world that sometimes is too hot, and sometimes is too cold, and sometimes is just right. And risotto is very good. As are these funky bodies we inhabit. I think the mindset I'm looking for is that wonderful balance. That ability to worship the creator of these good things more than the objects themselves. Right? Paul, for everything created by God is good, and nothing... Me, stay out of this, Paul. I've got it from here. Uh, I'm making this up as I go along. Can you tell? Thanks for letting me think out loud. Parentheses. Who did it better? Me or Ed Sheeran? Close parentheses. Sometimes it's hard to imagine any goodness remaining in this flesh of mine. Sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge beauty untwisted by lust. I've only been at this whole living thing for about 26.5 years, but it hasn't gotten much easier to figure out. When I was 17, I thought I'd have the world figured out by now. Turns out 10,000 years of human history takes a little bit longer to sift through and learn from, much less 20,000 years of Christian history alone. But God is good. And like that freaking wonderful song says, I long for that day when my faith will be sight. I also long for the day when my faith will be touch, smell, hearing, and taste. For that reason, as I often do, I conclude with the earliest of Christian prayers. Maranatha, come swiftly, Lord Jesus. Make all things new. So may we fall in love with invisible things. May you join me down here with the other weak, frail, and dirty Christians. And may your heart break, that it may be filled more with the water of life. So I wrote that, and it kind of went in a lot of different directions. But I was reminded of it in a conversation I was having earlier today with a friend. And we were talking about different elements of our faith, I guess. And he was talking about how he recently switched from a mega church around here in Denver, where there's lots of fog machines and loud lights and crazy shows and everyone's performing on stage and it's so loud and so poppy and emotional and um, rock concert style church. And he switched from that kind of church recently to a more 
liturgical church where they take communion every Sunday. I think it's mostly acoustic type worship or small band type worship. And the sermons are much more in depth and much more biblically based. And so he was telling me about how that's been a good experience for him. And he has found himself more inclined to be interested in the Bible itself and to find himself desiring more holy things because, in part, he's having his desires reprogrammed by this liturgy that he's going to at this new church. So he's super stoked about it. I'm super stoked for him because I also love liturgical churches. Unfortunately, the church I work at is not liturgical, and a lot of times I really wish it was just because of that experience. So we eventually started talking about uh, some of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings, where he says, um, I mean, I haven't read a ton of Bonhoeffer's, so forgive me if I get something wrong, but I know a lot of what he says is, like in Life Together, for instance, he talks about how we need to be Christ with skin on to one another as believers, that Christ, you know, 2,000 years ago, ascended back into heaven, and he is in a physical body right now, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's there, he will return the same way he left. And uh, in the meantime, we have fallen for cheap colloquial phrases like hiding Jesus in your heart and stuff like that, when that's not exactly biblically accurate, it's not really what it teaches, but at the same time, what do we do with the fact that Christ is not physically among us? And I think that the, the short answer is that we as people filled with the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, we become Christ to one another. And that's the reason that you can't stop going to church. It's the reason that you um, show love and grace to the people around you, because in Christ's um, bodily absence, while he is apart from us, we are Christ with skin on to one another. And there's other physical elements at play here, such as communion, you know, it's, it's a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Um, so let me talk about that for a second. The other day, I was talking to a guy, and he said, I could never be a part of this church because they're too legalistic. And I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? And he said, if you want to be a member at this church, you have to be baptized. <laughs> I kind of laughed, and I was like, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a restriction, seeing as how baptism is one of the small number of things that's like ordained by the church um, as a sign that you're a Christian. He's like, yeah, but to say that you have to be baptized to be a member? And I'm like, well, they're not saying that you have to be baptized to go to the church. They're saying you have to be baptized to be a member, which to me makes a lot of sense. And he said, I guess I just don't see the point in baptism or anything like that. Like, it's the 21st century. Aren't we past like sacraments? And, and part of me died inside when he said that. <laughs> And part of me um, kind of got angry at a system that's allowed our Christianity to look like that and just be so flaky and emotional and noncommittal almost. It's like, well, if Christ committed to us to the point of death on the cross, can't we commit to him to the point of being dunked in a pool of water, you know? Um, but then I explained to him, I said, you know, let me ask you a question. If you were married, he's not, but I said, if you were married, how good do you think your relationship would be with your wife if you never had sex with her? And he said, well, I don't know. I mean, not very good, I guess. <laughs> and um, we made a couple of jokes about that. But then I was like, okay, so in other words, you're married to this person. So on the wedding day, 
You have committed to this person financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, familially, you know, through sickness and health. You've, you've made these vows. You've committed to these things. Your relationship has reached that point. Um, and there's all these invisible elements of your relationship. And then honeymoon night, you come together and there's a physical manifestation of those spiritual things. You kind of play out physically um, what you've committed to verbally. There's this covenant that's made and it is summed up. You know, the word we're familiar with is it is consummated. The covenant is consummated in the physical coming together of a man and a wife's bodies. In the same way, we must think of our Christianity like sex or at least like a marriage because it is a covenant. You know, Jesus says this is the blood of the new covenant. And we often overlook that because we don't know what a covenant is. And that's why I always point to marriage because everyone can relate to marriage. They can't necessarily relate to other types of covenants. You know, in, in the new covenant with Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit of the things to come. We're promised eternal life. We have justification by God. We have this Father who has become our Father. We have returned home to Him. Um, in other words, these are all very invisible, somewhat abstract things, right? We have all these invisible, unseen realities. And in what way do we make them take on skin? I guess we're given two options. One is to hyper-spiritualize everything and not really live in reality and say things like, oh, the fire of the Holy Spirit is upon me right now and kind of trick yourself into thinking like, I don't know, over-spiritualizing everything. I came out of a charismatic background for a little while, so I met a lot of people like that. Um, side note, miracles absolutely do happen. Not to deny anything like that. Healings, miracles. God does the craziest things still today. 100% absolutely. But there is 100% also the other extreme of everything is spiritual, to the point that you overlook the physical reality of your day-to-day -day life. And I think that oftentimes that's how we view our Christianity, as removed from reality in the physical world. And I think that that's why things like baptism and communion are physical signs of spiritual realities. In other words, we take into ourselves the bread and the wine to physically commemorate the body and blood of Christ as we take him into ourselves just as the Holy Spirit has come into us in this invisible spiritual way. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit has entered us. You know, we say that, uh, I think Paul, is it Romans 12, 10 or 12? Paul writes that um, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside each one of us. And that's how we physically act that out kind of. Um, it's like coming together in a marital bed. We come to church collectively, not just one person by themselves in a room, but collectively we, the body and bride of Christ, come together and take Christ's body into ourselves, a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. So, in other words, that's why I think the sacraments are so important and they can't be neglected and forgotten. Um, and they both have different purposes, obviously, baptism and communion. Um, and depending on your 
background, you might have other things listed as sacraments. But those are the two big ones that um, I think we can all agree on. But anyway, um, yeah, so how healthy would a marriage be if you never had sex with your spouse? I know that those marriages exist, and I'm not quite sure that they're the healthiest marriages out there. Um, in the same way, me as a Christian, I want to physically remind my body that Christ has come into me, he lives in me, and my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as my as our conversation went on earlier today with my friend, we I just kind of told him that, that I, I'm, I'm learning more and more to recognize God in the physical world. I think that a lot of times we wait for spiritual manifestations, which look supernatural and weird and crazy, like they always do in the movies or something, or we want to break down crying and have some kind of emotional epiphany. And I think in reality, it's, it's a lot more natural seeming than that. In other words, when a farmer goes out to his field, plants seeds, and they grow over the coming months, is that natural or is it supernatural? And I think that that's a, a question that's a paradox because it's both. Um, it's 100% natural because God made it that way. And it's 100% supernatural because, you know, without God, there would be no dirt or seeds or life. Um, I think one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, which is often overlooked, is Genesis 1-2. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it says, The Spirit of the Lord was over the waters. Um, or Sorry, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters and the earth was formless and void. Uh, for one, that term, formless and void, is one of my favorite Hebrew phrases. It's tohu vavohu. You should say it out loud. Tohu vavohu. It's three different words. Tohu vavohu. Try it. So the earth was tohu vavohu, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And that word hovered is the same word used later in the Old Testament to describe a mama bird flying next to her nest and like hovering next to the baby chicklets. But more than that, the mama bird is calling them to take up flight, to come to life, to fly. And the spirit of the Lord then has this picture of like flapping his giant wings over the formless and void face of the world saying, come to life, rise up, fly. And I just, I've gotten choked up so many times just thinking about that. The, the Lord, you know, encouraging the world to burst into life, into fitful, you know, vibrant life, um, which could come about in no other way. So I got kind of distracted there. What does the physical world have to do with the supernatural world? I think everything, everything. Paul is very much against Gnosticism, which, again, from the last episode, is basically um, the idea that spiritual or invisible things are good and clean and pure, and physical world is worthless, useless, bad, and dirty. Therefore, what you do with your body doesn't matter. You can be lazy, you can sleep with whoever you want, you can use it for pleasure, you can eat whatever you want. One of the phrases of the Gnostics was food for the stomach and the stomach for food. The implication is when you get hungry, you eat because it's natural. But when you get horny, 
you go have sex with someone because it's just a natural urge and you satisfy your natural urges. And if you think about it, how many of the spiritual disciplines are simple uh, reversals of those natural urges? Fasting is making yourself hungry. <laughs> Abstinence is making yourself wait um, to have sex. And, you know, um, you could build a little biblical case that there's times in marriage when it's appropriate to abstain from sex with your spouse. So it's not necessarily just a practice of single people. Um, another one is like a vigil, like sacrificing sleep for the purpose of prayer uh, to be with the Lord. In other words, um, a lot of these things, a lot of these spiritual disciplines are kind of making our physical world yield and submit to the spiritual for the sake of spiritual growth. Um, another one is tithe. You know, um, we have this money, which we should, which it's not bad to spend money on food and a house and clothes, you know, necessities. But at the same time, sacrificing some of that money to give to the church, to give to the poor is absolutely a spiritual discipline. And I think that's oftentimes we conflate spiritual things with purely invisible things. Does that make sense? We often think that only invisible things are spiritual. And if you can see something, it's automatically not spiritual. And I think that very much the opposite is true. I think how we interact with the physical world around us reflects what we believe about the invisible. One of my pastors told me once, your living, breathing, walking, talking theology matters much more to God than your confessed theology. In other words, the things that you would write on a piece of paper that you believe about God. Um, right? Like all of us would say it's bad to hate people. It's bad to, you know, everyone's made in the image of God. Therefore, we should be nice to each other and love each other. And yet, does your life reflect that with the physical things you're given, like your body, your tongue, your, your mouth, your money, your bank account, your family, your house, your car even? With the physical things you're given, do you reflect what you believe about God? Are you loving? Are you, you know, and I think that oftentimes it's easier to push our Christianity into this sphere of invisibilia, right? Like, like it's easier to say, I'm just going to give the situation to the Lord. And I, I look at that and I say, you've literally just said nothing. Like you, you're going to give this to the Lord. And I mean, they might be saying something about how they feel emotionally, but at the same time, I don't know, do, does their day-to-day -day life reflect something, a life given up to the Lord, you know? Does the way that their money flows in and out of their hands, does that reflect something they've given up to the Lord? Or is it usually about a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, you know, some job situation maybe, or moving to a different state? You know, it's like the big things that we quote-unquote give up to the Lord, but is the whole of your physical life surrendered to the Lord? Do you use it in a way that would reflect what you believe? Or do you simply believe in him on Sunday mornings and maybe in the back of your mind throughout the week and maybe when you pray, but they're kind of abstract prayers to an invisible God who only cares about invisible things. It's a challenging thing to think about. And that's again why in that post I opened with, I write about wanting to long for invisible things because it's so hard. Because I think that when you desire invisible things more than visible things, then um, you've really made spiritual growth, right? 
for instance, I can long for a wife all day long and it's easy because it's like, yeah, I can see girls and they're beautiful and I can touch them and they can touch me and they can, you know, we can go out and have fun together and do things. Whereas how badly do I long for God? How badly do I long for his kingdom to come? And I think in one, in one sense, that's a valid observation because God has given us this good physical world. And he has said marriage is a good thing. Friendship is a good thing. Food and fun and laughter and joy and adventures are good things, you know? And, and I'm still wrestling with that, to be honest. I think that there are balances to be found. I think that balance um, between being grateful for the gift and loving the creator and not letting it become an idol. I think often I've seen people go quickly to that extreme of, if you love anything in the world, it's idolatry. Well, no, not necessarily. You can love good things in a healthy way, I think. Um, and I'm still wrestling with what that looks like. As a single guy longing for a wife, longing to be married, you know, longing for a good job, a good house, a car, whatever. Wrestling with how much is it okay to be grateful for and seek out and love good things without letting them become idols while still being grateful to the creator of them. Yeah, finding the balance there between the physical and the invisible and... How do they interact? How do they intersect? How does one reflect the other and vice versa? And I don't know. It's a continuing conversation. Anyway, I know that that was really all over the place, but um, I hope you guys were able to track with me and follow along. I'm going to wrap this up here. Thanks for tuning in this week to Abscond with Ethan Renault. If you have any feedback of any kind, please email me, ethan at ethanrenault.com. You can also hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. Um, I have an Instagram, but I'm never on it because it's not on my phone. Um, the best way, though, is just to go over to ethanrenault.com, click contact, and that sends an email straight to ethan at ethanrenault.com. So um, thanks again for listening, guys. Let me know what you want to hear in the future. I do read every message I get, and oftentimes they become episodes or blog posts or YouTube videos. So, um... Yeah, until next time, guys, this is Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 17. Thanks.